Welcome to the Lancet Psychiatry Podcast. I'm Dustin Graham, Senior Editor at the Lancet Psychiatry in the New York City office. And today I'm going to be talking with Dr. Vicki Sturgiopoulos from the University of Toronto about housing first interventions for helping homeless adults with mental illness. So Vicki, before we get into the details of a recent paper that you published with us, I was hoping you could tell us first, what exactly is a housing-first approach. Housing-first came about in the early 90s in response to difficulties or failures of other ways of offering housing to people with serious mental illness, which uh, were not particularly effective. Sam Simberis, who was the founder of uh, Pathways to Housing in in New York City, uh, shared with me that he worked at a local hospital in New York and he would see people uh, that are homeless admitted and then he would find them again on the street on his way home from work and despite every effort they made to uh, connect them to traditional services uh, that would provide housing and support they didn't seem to work and when he asked people themselves homeless people themselves they they shared with him that what they wanted was really housing first and so based on uh, what their advice was he he came up with the model that so housing as a human rights and provided housing of people's choice with help with rent supplements to be able to access uh, market rent housing and then surround them with supports uh, usually with high fidelity uh, community team there are certain community uh, certain community treatment team or intensive case management team later on so that's how housing first came about it is if you like a service user driven model it's a trauma informed recovery oriented approach. There is no expectation of sobriety or abstinence uh, from drugs. There is no expectation of taking medications or waiting for uh, somebody's symptoms or illness to be stabilized. Although people are engaged um, with their support team, they are expected to touch base with their support team weekly, and the team makes every effort to engage them in meeting their health needs. Okay, so it really is sort of a come-as-you-are type intervention and treatment. Absolutely. We'll take you where you are, and uh, we'll work with you, and we'll work uh, together to make a plan that works for you, and it seems to work. So housing is typically considered a social issue. Why would you say this is something that clinicians should be more involved in and and concerned about? I think housing is a key social determinant of health. And it's been recognized as such for for many years. Uh, Some authors, some scientists have argued that housing is health or offering housing is offering health care. Given the terrible outcomes, uh, health outcomes that we see in people that are homeless, I think in my view, um, it's important. It's important when I try and support somebody with a mental illness, I look at every aspect of their lives and how I can maximize their opportunities for for recovery and how they want to see their life unfold. So most of my patients tell me that housing is key and I know how important it is. So I I think I would consider it an important part of their health care. 
Going into a few of the details of your current paper with us, the primary outcome of your trial, and this was a long-term follow-up results from a Housing First trial that was initiated a while ago in Canada. So the primary outcome was days stably housed. And for some people, it, it may seem a little obvious that if you provide people with housing in one group compared to another, that their their days stably housed would increase. But so can you explain a little bit about why this might not be obvious and why this needed to be tested in a large clinical trial? I think there are a couple of things to consider. If it was just that, you give people housing and, of course, they'll be housed, you'd expect the usual services in the community to eventually catch up. So you'd expect if you give somebody housing to be housed a bit faster or a lot faster, but not eventually in the long run have a superior housing stability that somebody who's accessing well-working, functioning and effective services in the local community. Any intervention that is complex, like offering housing and supports, I think the best evidence is the evidence that's generated through rigorous trials. In this case, a pragmatic field trial, a multi-site trial, um, as it was conceived originally in, in 2008, 2009, was deemed to be needed, not only to look at the effectiveness of the model, but also to see how it works and if it works in different contexts for example, rural settings versus urban settings, and with different populations, for example, ethnoracial or indigenous or people that have concurrent substance use issues. So the trial was thought to be the best approach to test the model for and provide policy-relevant research advice. As I mentioned for, for the current paper with us, the focus was really on six-year long-term follow-up results. Could you tell us a little bit about what you think the significance of that long-term type of data? And I should also mention that this is really the first of its kind in terms of this type of long-term data. And what's the significance of this for, say, a policymaker when deciding on how much to invest in, in this type of an intervention? I think I can speak to both the policy relevance, but also to the research questions that remain to be answered. And I think when it comes to policy relevancy, it answers perhaps those that thought, well, for sure, if you give people housing, they'll be housed faster. If and when six years later, we continue to see significant differences between the intervention and the usual care group, especially so for those that had higher needs for mental health services, that's highly significant. And it speaks not only to the effectiveness of Housing First, but I think regarding policy, it, it speaks to the lack of effectiveness of our usual services and how we've organized our systems of care. So what we see is that it's not the housing, it's not the support, but it's bringing the two together, bringing the housing and the support together that makes a difference in people's housing stability over time. And unfortunately, we don't see that in often in, in usual care services. Another thing I wanted to ask about are the, the secondary outcomes that were looked at for this trial. So this included substance use and some, some quality of life measures. The results for the trial for the secondary outcomes were null. There was no evidence for, for differences between the groups. And I wanted to find out, what does that mean for a housing-first approach? What do you think we might be able to do better with this type of intervention in the future? First of all, I think we need to understand this is an intervention that happens in a given context. We found no difference in Toronto, which is a very service-rich 
environment and where the usual care participants had access to a lot of uh, similar services as the housing first participants. So I wouldn't preclude that, for example, if implemented in a setting where usual services were less available, one might see actually improvements in some of the secondary outcomes. I think the fact, though, that in a, a large urban well resource center we did not see outcomes raises two questions. I think the first one is what can we do to enhance the model? What other things can we do as an adjunct to housing first if we are to see improvements in, in health, uh, mental health, quality of life, community functioning, and other outcomes, uh, employment, recovery, community integration. So that's an active research question. Can that model be enhanced so that we can target other outcomes? And the other issue is if indeed housing is the only thing that improves over time, at least in well-resourced uh, settings, then what supports are needed through the model to make it more acceptable from a cost-effectiveness perspective? So what supports would be needed to focus on housing stability alone without necessarily targeting improvements in health and leaving those improvements to other services in the community? So I think these remain active questions, and I think I look forward to others that can take them on. You mentioned the fact that there is a specific context for the trial. It was a focus on Toronto, which has a very different system and services, especially compared to a lot of urban areas, say, in, in the United States. And so I guess maybe my last question would be, you know, if I'm a researcher or a policymaker in Seattle, which is also dealing with a fairly big homelessness crisis, how should I view these results and what should be my takeaway message from the study? I would feel quite confident in investing in Housing First seeing that it is an effective intervention not only in the short term, but also in the long term. I would also look at how we've organized usual systems of care and if there is anything we can do to uh, coordinate the provision of housing without of high quality supports uh, for people that have these kinds of needs. Those are all the questions I have. Is there anything else you want our listeners and readers to know about Housing First or the paper that we didn't cover? Well, just how grateful I am to the research participants and, and to the sacrifices that they made to participate in a seven-year-long study. And I can assure you that um, it wasn't always easy, and uh, their motivation was to actually help others. And how can they contribute to generating evidence that can help others in their position? So just to recognize the research participants. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Vicky, and thank you listeners for tuning in. Please be sure to read Vicky and her colleagues' paper online at the Lancet Psychiatry website, and we'll see you next time.